Hi there. Thank you for connecting with me and subscribing to the Living the Sky Life podcast. I'm a very tired and oftentimes overwhelmed autism warrior mom who has navigated the ups and downs of this puzzling disorder for 16 years and counting. My hope when creating this podcast was that it would serve as a vessel for connecting families with special needs children so we may share experiences and resources. But even more importantly, I want to create a community of support for one another through the tough times, which we know there can be many, and to celebrate the achievement of milestones, big and small, of our amazing kids. So thanks again for joining me on this journey and for tuning in for this episode of Living the Sky Life. I'm so excited about my guest on the podcast today. Shirley Sansom resides in Huntington, West Virginia, and is a wife of 21 years, a mother, and a fierce advocate of all children, particularly those with special needs. Shirley's love of children led her to owning a daycare for many years, becoming a foster mother, and ultimately adoption when her beautiful son, Jacob, who was on the autism spectrum, was placed into her life. Now 28 years old, Jacob made Shirley aware of his wish to own an ice cream truck recently, and this warrior mom set out to make that dream come true. Several months ago, Ice Cream Guy hit the road and can be seen making its way around the city of Huntington, providing ice cream and smiles to members of the community. I am so excited to present my conversation with Shirley. She is quite a dynamic woman, and her story of adoption uh, is remarkable. So please take a listen to my conversation with Shirley. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Today, my guest is Shirley Sansom um, out of West Virginia. I came across an article actually um, about her son, Jacob, and his ice cream truck. And I was very intrigued and reached out to Shirley to see if she would want to be a guest on uh, the podcast. So, and she happily agreed. So welcome, Shirley. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit um, through the article. I was learning a little bit more about your background um, and how Jacob came into your life. Um, so I guess to, to backstep even further, um, I read that you owned a daycare for many years and that you um, had a real passion around working with children and fostering children. Um, how did that all kind of come to be? Well, I moved here um, from California to Kentucky uh, in my 30s. And my, my um, biological son was seven years old at the time. And I, I didn't know anybody. And I had a fear of putting him in a daycare, not knowing anybody in the community or didn't have any family that was close. So I wanted my cake and eat it too. And I thought, <laughs> well, I'm just going to start a daycare center. And that way he can be in the daycare center with me. So um, in the process of getting my licensing and getting everything started, I went ahead and applied for a foster care license. Um, not to, I wasn't looking to adopt. I was just looking to support any kids in the, in the community that needed, you know, an overnight stay or if they needed to be placed in, in my daycare center um, or if they needed to be placed in my home, then I'd be licensed and I'd be able to do that. So uh, one day, it was on January 10th, uh, 1991, I get a phone call asking, um, no, I'm sorry, it was January 10th, 1992, getting a call asking if I would take a, a three and a half month old that had been abandoned in the woods. And oh. Um, my first, my first remark was, no, I, re I really can't. It's 4:30. It's Friday. I've got a birthday party this evening. I've got friends and family that's coming over. And quite honestly, I was exhausted after working all day. Mm -hmm. And I told them that I wasn't able to take them. And they said, you know, it's an emergency placement. It's 4:30. We're getting ready to go home. We don't have any place for him. And I said, really, seriously, I'm being honest with you. I just can't. I can't take this baby. Well, then they asked me again for the third time. And I said, I'll take him, but you better be at my house at 8 o'clock Monday morning because I've got to go back to work. And, you know, I, I, it just wasn't in my cards at the time. You know, I wasn't looking to adopt a baby or I wasn't really even looking to bring a baby home because I had lots of babies in my daycare center uh -huh. and um, just wasn't in my plans. 
So um, anyway, they, they brought him to me. And of course, it was love at first sight. He was the most pitiful looking little thing you ever saw. And I had to clean him up before I could even bring him home. And I had him in the car seat and I went in the house and I said, honey, I have a surprise birthday present for you out <laughs> it's in the not car. A puppy. <laughs> yeah. So um, I brought him in the house and laid him in his arms. He was just this 10 pound, Aww. he was 10 pounds. He was three and a half months old and he was just as limp as a little rag. It was just, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was pitiful. But anyway, Monday morning I called uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky and I said, you know, you really don't have to be at my house at eight o'clock this morning. I said, why don't you just go ahead and leave him here as long as you need to, and we'll take care of him. And um, so time went on and, and um, you know, I fell in love and, and we wanted to go for the adoption and uh, things were a little difficult for us because the birth mother at that time was going to give him to a friend and what? that wasn't that yeah that wasn't um you know I don't want to talk negative about anybody but it wasn't a good placement and so um then she talked about giving him to her parents to raise so um we knew that that, that she was going to lose parental rights. And we knew that there was something going on with Jacob. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew there was something. So I started taking him to, at that time it was called Commission for Handicapped Children. And then I took him to Louisville to a child development clinic. Yep. And I was just trying to get um, some diagnosis for him because um, the state told me that if he, if parents lost parental rights, he would be put on an adoption list and that I supposedly signed a contract that said for foster parenting only not for adoption. So basically they were telling me that I couldn't get him. I couldn't, you know, adopt him. So I, on my own, went to all these different clinics and I finally talked to this doctor and I said, listen, you know, and I know that there's something going on with this little guy and we need to get him diagnosed because mm -hmm. then he's going to be placed on a special needs adoption list. And maybe my chances of adopting him will be better if, if that's the case. So we, he gave him a diagnosis of autism. Of course, I didn't even know how to spell the word autism, let alone <laughs> even knew what autism meant. Yep. But I knew when I knew there was something going on. He just had that little blank stare about him. And, um, so then, I'm sorry, I thought my volume was off on my computer. Ah, that's uh, okay. What, what age was, um, was all of this happening when you were fostering him and you were able to finally get the autism diagnosis? Um, he? he actually got diagnosed at um, 14 months. Oh, wow. Okay. He actually got diagnosed at 14 months. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, okay, good. Wow. That's, that's young. I that's mean, very, that's very young, especially back 28 years ago. That was very huh. young. But again, we were trying to get that diagnosis put on paper because we, I was afraid that if he did get adopted, I mean, he was a beautiful baby. He was, he was precious. And I was afraid that if he got adopted and somebody adopted him and, and not, and didn't know that he had special needs that, um, you know, my, I just thought it was fair that they would know that. Sure. So, um, so I, I made sure that he got labeled and a after that, then, um, I went to the state and I said, I really want to adopt this baby. And they said, well, you can't because the grandparents are going through the process. And I said, well, can you at least let me talk to the mother and talk to the mother? And they said, no, we can't give you that information. So I knew, I knew who the court appointed attorney was for the uh, mother and the guardian at litem. So I went to them and um, said, would you please send this mother a letter and just say that the foster parents are interested in, in adopting him. And so I, two weeks later, I get a letter in the mail that's stamped address unknown. And because so, the attorney wanted to show me that I did what, you know, I asked him to do. Mm -hmm. So I called my friend and I said, we're going to Portsmouth. I said, I don't know where it's at, 
but we're going <laughs> to go to Portsmouth and we're going to try to find this mother. So it took us about 45 minutes to get there because we lived in Grayson, Kentucky at the time. And, and um, within 45 minutes, I found this mother and um, which was a miracle in itself mm-hmm. and had a long conversation with her and her parents. And she actually signed the paperwork uh, for a consent to adopt and for pri- privately. So <clears throat> I took it back to the Commonwealth of Kentucky and I said, here, this mother has signed this. And then it was about the same time that we got the diagnosis and gave it to the state. Well, once they saw that he was diagnosed autism, it was, the adoption was final in 30 days. It was that quick. Gosh, you are such an, a warrior. I love that you were so focused on, you know, taking care of this beautiful child and you knew he would be in the best possible hands with you, you guys and your family. Gosh, I just, I hate that his beginning started the way that it did, but what divine intervention that you guys yeah. ended up getting him. He and was I'm actually sure. a answer to prayer. I remember, and this is probably silly, but when I was 16 years old, I volunteered for a um, uh, organization. They were special needs adults. And I would volunteer to go to the park with them, the zoo, wherever, you know, they were going. And I remember praying. I said, God, I want a special needs child when I grow up. <laughs> of course, who, pr- who prays for a special needs child, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and who wants, you know, a child to be born special needs? And I always thought that was kind of a funny prayer, but God answered my prayer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so there he came. How, how did Jacob... Um acclimate with your do you only have one other child your son that you mentioned yes I have a 37 year old right now so they were pretty far apart in age I know you said you moved to Kentucky when your son was seven um right how how did the two of them you know gel once they became you know Jacob was old enough to understand he had a brother and you know he wasn't a baby obviously anymore how did they do growing up together it was just a very natural you know that's so great I, of course, I asked Christopher, I said, you know, we want to adopt this little boy. What do you think? You know, and, and out of fairness, I gave him the opportunity to say, sure, yeah, I have a brother. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was very normal, very, you know, they, Jacob doesn't even really understand, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't really understand uh, the adoption part. I've never kept it a secret. I've always talked about it but I don't think he understands. We, we do keep in contact with his biological aunts and um, you know, they, he, we call them aunt Kathy and aunt Helen, and he thinks they're my sisters and he doesn't really understand the difference and, and all of that. So we've just kind of meshed together as, as um, one family. So that's nice. That's how it should be. When you said, you know, some of the, he was presenting, um, you knew there was something developmentally delayed with him or there was something going on. What kinds of things did you notice, um, that you brought to the attention of the physician to get the diagnosis? Well, initially when they brought him to me, he had no life in him. He would stare right through you and just had no expression no emotion. He was just, just this little human with no spirit inside of him. Mm -hmm. And so of course, initially I thought that it might've just been because of the, the, um, being, you know, left and not fed well and, and being moved from one place to the other. Um, Later on, as time went by, it was just his developmental milestones. He just wasn't meeting any of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was speech delayed. Um, He still is speech delayed. I understand everything he says. Not everyone understands him, but he was, um, he was not social at all. But right now he is so social that I probably... (laughs) went a little bit overboard. We, we were a very affectionate family. So we hug and kiss everybody and our friends, we greet them with hugs and <clears throat> excuse me. I had to stop that. Um, because he doesn't understand social boundaries. He wants to kiss and hug everybody. So, uh, you know, we tell him that 
we have to, well, now, of course, we have to do the elbow bump. <laughs> right. I know social distancing is probably really yeah. hard for him. <laughs> yeah, 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 it really is. But we've had to really talk a lot about COVID and, and the importance of not hugging and kissing people. But mm -hmm. yeah. what was he, uh, were you able to get him uh, services once he was diagnosed with like PT and OT and some of the state programs? And then after that, what kinds of things did you do throughout his um toddler teen years all of those things to try to help his development well actually when he was six years old um i moved to west virginia because okay. of the autism service center yeah um i don't know if you're familiar with dr ruth sullivan she was the founder of that i've heard uh, of her well matter of fact her son uh, dustin hoffman portrayed uh her son in the movie rain man oh i didn't realize that yeah yeah so okay. um they live in, here in the huntington area but i had to leave um kentucky in the grayson area because every time i would call autism services center for questions or what do i do and how do i do this and give me some resources all they could do is send me a pamphlet they couldn't right. provide any services to me so I said, here we come, Huntington, and we moved out here, and um, our service coordinator that we had with Autism Services uh, told us about the IDD waiver program and helped us get started with that, and he's had waivers since he was seven years old, mm -hmm. and it's been a real blessing for us. Is it a long wait list in West Virginia for the waiver? It like was. in every other state? It was, it was yeah. an eight year wait list. I actually am a service coordinator with West Virginia Birth to Three. And so I help a lot of families uh, that have children that are transitioning out of our program. And if they have a diagnosis, I help them with a waiver application. And there was a wait, eight year wait list up until this year. They've got everybody off the wait list now. Oh, that's nice. I mean, yes. that's what's so crazy to me. Um, you know, just anyone that I talk to in any state, um, it seems like every state has a waiting list that's pretty substantial. And it just, it baffles me because that should tell congressmen and, and just everyone that's in the political power to be able to make some changes in our states. Right. How many kids actually are on the spectrum and how many services are needed. And I, it's just crazy that at this point, that in 2020 we have wait lists for years still right how can that be i just right. don't get it right i hear new york has a 21 year wait list oh i mean why bother right <laughs> it's like right uh, and so many families go broke because they have to pay out of pocket because they don't right. can't get a waiver and you know putting mortgages on their house and do all of these things just to get their kids some therapy that they need right right so frustrating um very frustrating well, well so he was he um as far as schooling did he was he able to attend the local schools or did he go to um a special school or how did that all work no in west virginia they just integrate the children together well That's he was nice. in a special special needs classroom especially uh -huh. he started off in special needs preschool and then of course went into elementary middle school and high school he was always in a special ed class but he would be he was able to go out um, to gym and he was able to go to the uh, home economics classroom and things like that with with an aide um, so he stayed in till he was 21 years old because mm -hmm. you know he loved school i didn't love waking up at five o'clock in the morning but he loved getting up and going to school um school was uh more of a social thing for him more than an educational experience unfortunately um he does not read and write on his age level um i think he knows a little bit more than he's telling me because sometimes he'll surprise me with something that he sees on his phone and um I think he reads better than I think he does, but he does not read on his age level. Mm -hmm. So as far as an education, I can't really brag a lot about that because it was just, he was just there. You know what I mean? Yeah, in his special needs classes, did they work on um, like independence and, and that type of skill set, dressing himself, taking care of his personal hygiene? 
um, you know, communication to where he can at least tell you guys so you can understand his needs and his wants, things like that? Or what was their curriculum kind of focused on? As far as meeting his, his uh, health needs, they, they didn't really need to do that because that was my job. You know, okay. we worked on uh, picking out your clothes and hygiene and brushing your teeth and combing your hair and taking a bath, you know, all those things we worked on at home. Okay. I wanted them to work on the educational part of it. Um, I don't know. I, I school just wasn't, <laughs> I, I just don't want to be negative about it, but it just wasn't a great learning place for him. Well, it's probably hard because yeah. they have so many varying levels of um, right. you know, just ability. And so that's why I always struggled when Skylar was younger and he was in public school for a little while. And, you know, we loved the teacher in his special needs classroom, but I always used to feel so bad for her because they had, gosh, there were probably Lots. 11 kids, 10 or 11 right. kids in his class. And they had varying disabilities. I mean, some were completely wheelchair bound. Some right. like Skylar really needed somebody sitting next to him all the time to make sure he was not getting up and running through the classroom out of his seat and things like that. And they just didn't have the staff to, to man, you know, one-on-one right. -on -one with everyone. So it's hard to really get through anything to them when you're chasing kids all day. <laughs> so right. exactly. Yes. Yeah. And ends up a daycare, sadly. Yes, but he loved going. So mm -hmm. he had a lot of friends. Um, he, you know, he's just very social. So that to me, that's very important. I think it's sure. good to have good good social skills. Yeah, you definitely don't want to keep him locked up at home, right? Because <laughs> right, he wouldn't be the outgoing adult that he is now. So correct. I know yeah. um, transitioning, I guess, into his ice cream business. I know he, you know started the ice cream truck and I want to talk about that. Are there other things that he really enjoys that make him super happy? Well, he loves video games. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and and that's that's one of the reasons why we worked really hard towards getting him out into the working world because I didn't want him home all day long sitting in front of an Xbox. Mm -hmm. um, he, he loves playing video games and he loves talking to people on there and I'll hear him running down the hall going, you want to talk to my mom? She's so cool. Um, <laughs> and then he'll hand me the phone and he'll say, mom, meet my very best friend. Well, he had just met him. So <laughs> they're not really best friends because he just met him on the phone. But, um, you know, he just enjoys meeting people all the time and, um, he just likes being on there, but I don't like him being on there all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want him to be a couch potato. So we sure. worked really hard trying to get him jobs. He did, he did work, um, for an agency five days a week where he did maintenance at a, um, uh, military, uh, place. Can't remember the name of the place now. It wasn't Marines, but anyway, he would go in and do housekeeping, but Jacob got really sick um, when he was there um, and ended up losing a hundred pounds and ended up oh, getting nice. on a fe feeding tube. And we didn't know if it was the chemicals that was, he was having a reaction to, or if it was just coincidental that he started getting sick. He finally, after several years of talking to different doctors, he finally got diagnosed with gastroparesis. Yep. And he's had several feeding tubes. Matter of fact, he's getting one taken out on Monday that was placed in Cleveland Clinic in March. And it was right at the start of the COVID. And they put it in um, really quick and sent us home as fast as they could. And But they ended up placing it in the wrong place. They put it into his stomach and he needs it placed into the J. And so we've never been able to use it. He can eat orally, but throws up a lot of his food. So putting feeds into a feeding tube into a stomach was really defeating the whole purpose. He wasn't mm -hmm. going to get any nutrition from it because he would turn around and throw it up. So we go Monday to get it taken out. And um, I don't know if we'll eventually probably have to have another one placed in. But anyway, back to the working thing, we had to let him quit that job. 
then about a year later, a friend got him a job at McDonald's and Jacob wasn't on the feeding tube then. So he worked at McDonald's for almost a year and a half, just one day a week though, for a couple of hours. And then he ended up on another feeding tube again. And we had to let him quit that time because it just wasn't appropriate for him to have to work with this feeding pump on his back and, you know, a feeding tube hanging out of his belly. So mm -hmm. we let is, him. Is quit. gastroparesis something that can come on later in life? I mean, my son has ulcerative colitis, which we just found out a year or so ago because um, he was also very sick, but it was more um, digestion, constipation, things like that. He wasn't vomiting. Um, but gosh, it, it's just, it's crazy how um, our kids, we don't know anything's wrong with them until something is very, very wrong, you know, with the right. rapid weight loss and all of that. Um, so how did you, I mean, did this just come on very quickly with him? Jacob always, um, Grew up, even as an infant, I remember we would sit in church and three pews behind us, people would slide over because they knew he would projectile vomit. Uh -huh. <laughs> so <laughs> he always threw up. And I remember taking him to the doctor when he was little and saying, I'm really concerned about this vomiting. It just doesn't seem normal. And the doctor said, he's growing, he's gaining weight. He's fine. Don't worry about it. And he just wrote me off as being this paranoid mother. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, when he was six years old and we were in Huntington, I took him to a gastro doctor and I basically said, I'm not leaving. We're staying here until you finally figure out what's wrong because I'm tired. Of people. I'm tired <laughs> of people just saying he's fine. He's growing. He's gaining weight. He's fine. And so this doctor uh, diagnosed him with GERD. Mm -hmm. and put him on medicine for that and he seemed to be doing okay but then he developed a lot of ulcers and uh still a lot of vomiting and doctors would just keep writing us off and writing yep. us off and writing us off and then then he lost he ended up losing that we were in the hospital nine times for overnight uh stays for severe dehydration in one year and so finally they decided to go ahead and put that feeding tube into uh, his jejum and he did very well with that for a while and then um, we came across another doctor and he says he's gained all of his weight back he seems like nutritionally he's doing fine he said let's go ahead and take the feeding tube out and i said okay so we did well then the next year he ended up in the hospital seven times with the same problem. So then they placed the feeding tube in him again. Well, we literally lost a feeding tube every week. One would fall out to the point where they were accusing Jacob of pulling it out. And I <sighs> said, Jacob doesn't pull these out. I promise you, he does not pull these out. I said, I don't know what's wrong with these feeding tubes, but they keep falling out of him. So they sent us to Cleveland and this last doctor that we went to see put a feeding tube in him that actually has an internal button. So the buttons on the, instead of having a balloon, it has the button on the inside mm -hmm. and there's no way it can come out. You have to go in and pull the button off to pull the tube out. So, but unfortunately that one was placed wrong. And when he came out of the procedure, he said, well, I couldn't get him to go to sleep very good. So uh, we just had to put it in his belly. And I just said, so now what? Now what do we do? Because I can't use it. Jacob threw up on him and you would have thought that Jacob poured acid on the doctor. He just backed off and I never saw or heard from him since then. And oh I was gosh. so disappointed in that whole situation. And I, I want to say it was because of COVID that it was just a very strange atmosphere yeah that day i didn't know what was going on i just knew something weird was going on they were sending uh nurses home left and right it was uh i was almost afraid they were gonna everybody was gonna leave and we were gonna just be there by ourselves we we stayed at ronald mcdonald house and i found out that they even quarantined everybody there so i just went to ronald mcdonald's house packed up all my stuff and went straight home because i thought something weird is going on i'm not sure what it is yet but we got to get out of here and and i think that's probably why the doctor didn't 
follow through with anything because of maybe COVID. I don't know. That's what I, I'm using as an excuse. Yeah. Telling yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's COVID. It's COVID. But nevertheless, we're getting it taking out Monday and we're just going to have to kind of start from scratch, but see. I hate that for him and for you, but you know, I say again, he is so lucky to have you. I just, I don't know if you think to yourself, like what would have happened had he been given to his biological grandparents or something else? There's no way all of this probably would have been handled. You know, right? you're right. such a blessing. And well, I just, you. your stories, you remind me a lot of uh, um, the, some of the things that I published in my book, um, just about, you know, not taking no for an answer from a right. doctor. I'm so right. tired of that. I think a lot of us can relate to you. We've all been through it, I think. And um, it's very frustrating when they just put a Band-Aid or give you a prescription for something. And they think that it's in our mind that, you know, right. we're making it worse than it is. And we're like, really, our kid is suffering. <laughs> like, right. I don't know how exactly. else to explain this to you. Right. They're miserable. Oh, well, right. on a positive spin, though, you said um, the whole kind of the reason that I introduced you was the article about his ice cream truck. And then so t- kind of walk me through that. He came to you and said he really wanted an ice cream truck business. Yeah, it, it was in the <laughs> fall. And he said he just right out of the blue. He just said, I want an ice cream truck. I said, buddy, you find an ice cream truck and I'll get you one. Honestly, never dreamt that anything would come from that conversation at all. So he got on Marketplace and he found this ice cream truck and he showed it to me. And I said, okay, well, let me call the guy and see what's going on. So I called the gentleman. They were about two and a half hours away from here. And I called him and I said, I have a son that's really interested in buying an ice cream truck. Can you give me some information about yours? And it turns out that this gentleman had a 28 year old um, daughter that was uh, uh, cerebral palsy in a wheelchair that was uh, severe profound. And he just fell in love with the idea that Jacob wanted an ice cream truck. So he said, listen, I want this boy to have this ice cream truck. He said, I'm going to mark a thousand dollars off this truck. You come up here and look at it. Excuse me. So we, we went up there and, um, he just fell in love with Jacob. He just, (laughs) it was just the neatest. You would have thought that we knew these people all of our life. And your kids are the same age. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so he knocked another thousand dollars off of this ice cream truck. So we ended up buying it and driving it home and, and um, not sure if it was even going to make it home. Honestly, it was a 91 Ram uh, truck and it, or van, and it was just pretty rough. The inside looked really good. It had two nice freezers. It had a shake machine. It has, you know, four sinks in the back for hand washing. It was all set up for, uh, the health department had approved it for selling ice cream, but the outside of it looked pretty rough. You know, they had literally looked like they painted it with white paint, uh, mm-hmm. maybe spray paint, and they just had ice cream stickers all over it. So it looked pretty rough. So we have a really good friend. His name's Baki. He's a um, sheriff here in our county. And he called me. He said, Shirley, I want to do a GoFundMe page for Jacob, see if we can get this ice cream truck looking really good. Well, I was already in the process of of talking to somebody about putting a wrap on it. And the wrap was Mm going to cost $4,500, which was as much as the ice cream truck cost us. But I was willing to do that because uh, I think first impressions are so important. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, you know, look. I didn't want the ice cream truck to look rough when we went out there. I wanted it to look good. So I was two days away from getting ready to get this wrap put on the truck when my friend called and said, let's do a GoFundMe page. So we did. And um, somebody called me from a place called Alley Cat Signs in uh, Lavalette, West Virginia, and said, hey, I just saw this GoFundMe page, and I want to help Jacob's dream come true. And I said, great. And so we drove it down there and, and they, um, said that they would do all the, 
uh, labor. We just needed to buy the material. And I said, great. So we raised enough money on the GoFundMe page to pay for the material and get this wrap done. And it looks so cute. It does know. look cool. Yeah. I love yeah, the looks, picture. And um, yeah. I'll link the article to, um, to the show notes so that people can click on it and, and um, see the truck and, and read about it too. Yeah. But gosh, that's so fabulous. Yeah, so, we had a blast with it. He's done really well. He actually works on it on Tuesday, or I'm sorry, Monday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday with his staff. Mm -hmm. And um, they have a really good time. His staff is actually a, a special needs teacher at the, our local high school. Um, so he's working with Jacob during the summer and that kind of gives them that independence a little bit without me being right there all the time uh -huh. with him. And then we'll do special events on the weekends together. And, and he just really, really enjoys it. He's come up with the idea that he wants to sell masks. So we have his logo on a mask and he sold over, oh gosh, over a hundred of them. I think we sell t-shirts. He came up with that idea. He came up with the logo idea. He came up with the name of his ice cream truck, which is the ice cream guy. Um, he uh, wanted uh, bottled water with his logo on it. So we got that ordered through the local water company, which is run and operated uh, with people with disabilities. So we're supporting them and, and they're helping us and it's just been real successful. It's just been, it's been great. That's so cool. What a little entrepreneur he is. <laughs> I know. I know. It just, it just surprised me. Honestly, I just never dreamt that it would turn out to be the way it did. And it's just great. He's, he's very proud of it. He talks to everybody about his ice cream truck. Uh -huh. We've already given out over 2000 business cards and he just hands them to everybody and has his Facebook page on it and talks to everybody. I can't even go in the, I went to the post office the other day and ran in to drop a package off and here he's leaning out the window, handing his cards to some stranger. <laughs> and they don't always understand what he's saying, but you know, but he's- You have some very... friends that, that live in your area and they, um, he's actually the one who um, forwarded the article on, on Facebook and so I could see it and um, I know that they frequent the truck quite a bit and um, when the kids hear his kids hear the music they they yeah. run out and they know <laughs> he's yeah. coming what does he play what songs does he play I can't remember it's just a variety of just jingles just and, yeah. and there's Christmas music in there too and some people <laughs> say why are you playing Christmas music and and we say, because it makes you happy. Because he likes it. Yeah, it's <laughs> Oh, that's so great. Yeah. I love it. Well, I mean, I love that he had an idea and that you guys, you know, were all in on that. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, being that he's an adult, that's the conversation I have with a lot of parents whose kids are 18 and older and just trying to find work opportunities and right. things that their kids would, or young adults would actually enjoy doing. You know, right. it's one thing to get a job a few hours a week, just standing somewhere or sitting somewhere and punching a, a, a widget or whatever. But if they right. don't enjoy it, they don't take any pride in it. It's right. so nice to hear stories like this where he probably beams every day when he goes out in that truck and he's so proud of what he's built. Right. That just goes so much further. I'm sure it rests on your mind that he's happy and he's fulfilled doing something right, that he loves. Right. And making yeah, some yeah. money. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. He's, uh, of course he doesn't have the understanding of, uh, of a dollar. So, yeah. uh, he could get $3 and thinks he's a millionaire. And, uh, <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> you know, he could take, get, you know, $30 and thinks, you know, wow, I can buy anything. So yeah, we reward him with, um, of course we we're trying to teach him to save too, which, it's a hard concept for him and I both, but um, we try to get him to understand that, you know, we, we've got a little place where he puts his money and that's a special spot. Um, of course we do save money on the, um, in the, in, in the bank for him through that program that's uh, called West Virginia stable. Are you familiar with the, where, where now you can save money for kids with special needs and it doesn't hurt them. No, I mean, the only things I'm aware of are the ABLE accounts and the trusts accounts so that, you know, if he has a job or anything like that, that the, it doesn't affect their social security right, right. and all of that. So right, I'm that's not what, what's, 
Yeah, that's what he has is that uh, the West Virginia, it was called West Virginia Able. I guess every state has it. Okay. But it's, yeah, it's called West Virginia Able here. So we do yeah. save money through that. And he, he doesn't even know that or even understand that concept. But mm -hmm. we, we talk about you've got to save and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He's like, like you said, he probably wouldn't even get paid and he would still just be happy out there. Oh yeah. Out ice cream to people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. 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 Well, um, aside from like SSI, was there anything else that you needed to, um, tackle when he, once he turned 18, um, were there any other programs or services that he needed to, you know, enroll in or be eligible for, um, just to continue funding or services or is it, was it just the ABLE account and SSI? Um, there's a program out there that I try to share with everybody because not a lot of people are familiar with it. And I think it's a, an amazing program. Um, it's called HIP, Health Insurance Premium Program. Have okay. you heard about that? I haven't. Okay. And, and, and I think it is a federal funded program. So I'm sure it's in every state. Um, here it's called West Virginia HIP. But if you, um, if your child has a medical card, which they get through waiver mm -hmm. and you put them on your private insurance company, the HIP program will reimburse your premium. So for example, we paid $234 a month for private insurance and we added Jacob to it. They will send us a $234 check back every month. And what that program is designed to do it is a lot cheaper for the HIP program to reimburse you your premium than it is to take care of them primarily on that medical card. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. So they pay you back the premium just for Jacob? Like, do they carve out? Well, what, it's a family. No, it's it's a family. It's a family. It's the family premium. So they do wow. the whole, yeah. So, um, of course, when he was younger, um, uh, he, we, and before I even knew about this program, he just had the medical card through the waiver. Mm -hmm. And then when I found out about this program, I was able to add him to our private insurance. And, you know, it's, it's nice because now he has that as a primary. So we get to pick the doctors we want to go see. Right. And he is 28 years old and we have literally spent a dollar 17 on him for medical expenses because the hospital turned us into collections for $1.17 because oh it was their, it was their mistake. So I took them $1.17 in pennies because <laughs> I was a little upset about that when I found out they turned it into collections. And I said, you need to take care of this because we have 100% medical coverage. Mm -hmm. So they did, but the HIP program's wonderful. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. I'm going to look into that. We've always had, private insurance for Skylar, he's always been on ours. And then when he got his Medicaid waiver, um, you know, usually we just say our private is primary and then Medicaid kicks in right. secondary for whatever, but we've, I knew nothing about getting reimbursed for the premium, which would be excellent. Yeah. yeah. It's health insurance premium plan or program. Honestly, I don't know what the last P stands for, but I do know that it is a federal funded program, but you have to go through each your own state that you're in. Mm -hmm. So you can just Google that and, and uh, it should, something should come up. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely look at that. Um, well, you know, I guess to conclude, I was, you obviously are very invested and very involved in um, even helping other families as a service coordinator, which is phenomenal. Um, so, you know, just knowing what you've learned over the years and experienced with even just fostering in the adoption process, specifically when you, you know, have a special needs child that is up for adoption or that you're fostering, would you have any advice or suggestions for parents who may end up going through a similar experience fostering or maybe adoption of a special needs child? I know they don't really tell you a whole lot at the agency. I've talked to other, um, another mother who fostered um, a child for a while and then he was diagnosed with autism and they adopted him. But she said, sadly, you know, the fostering agency just really didn't know that the child had special needs, but even if they did, they don't have a lot of resources to provide to us. It's kind of right. like getting a diagnosis just 
from a biological child and you're like, okay, now what? <laughs> but fostering a child, maybe that's older, and then you get the diagnosis and what do you do then? Because they're not babies in a lot of cases. So I just wondered if you had any advice for anyone that's going through the fostering or adoption process with potentially a special needs child. You know, I, I, all I can do is, is say fight, 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 mm -hmm. you know, just be that child's voice, advocate for that child, just, you know, push people to get what that child deserves, just fight. It's just a, it's a battle every day, but it's a battle that we're going to win. Um, it was interesting when you pointed out early on that um, if they have a diagnosis uh, and their special needs are determined, um, a lot of times maybe the biological family won't necessarily be as interested in the adoption, which is sad, but um, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that having that um, diagnosis might be more helpful for the um, foster family to be able to adopt the child. Is that a, well, a common I, I think, occurrence? I think what, what it was was because they knew that the parents were going to lose parental rights and they were <laughs> working towards that. And they told me there was a 10 year adoption list so that there was no way that I was going to get that baby. Um, and then once I got him diagnosed, cause I knew, I guess at that point, my goal was I wanted him to be labeled because it was only fair for that next family that was going to adopt them. I wanted them to know that this baby was special needs. I, when you're a tiny little baby and maybe you don't know anything about child development and you're wanting to adopt a baby, that's, you're going into going, Oh, here's this beautiful baby. I, I'm so excited we're going to adopt him. And then a little bit of time goes by and then they start learning about child development and going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be on paper so it would be fair to the next family that got him that they would know that he has an autism, autism diagnosis. And there are a lot of developmental delays and challenges that go along with this child so that if they did adopt him, they would know. I guess mm -hmm. my fear was, my fear back then was someone's going to adopt him because he's this beautiful little baby and then they find out he has autism and they're going to give him back. Yeah, which and, we just saw in the media happened with another family, which was uh, awful. Yeah, and <laughs> so. I know that happened. So it was so, it was so important for me to get that label put on paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I wanted him to, but like I said, once he got that diagnosis, I, this, it's very expensive for the state to take care of a child with special needs. And so I think at that moment they thought, okay, we, we need to allow this family to adopt this baby because now he has a diagnosis. Well, initially what they said to me was, well, if you want to adopt him, there's a policy in the state that you have the child has to be removed from your home for six months. And I said, why? And they said, well, to make sure that you really want him. Well, <laughs> he, he was in my home at this point for 17 months and they were going to take him away from me for six months to make sure I really wanted him, which made no sense to me, but that's what I was told. So I had to go to court and I was sitting in the courtroom by myself and the judge walked out and he said, well, I guess everything's going to remain the same. And I said, well, I don't understand what that means. And he said, well, the guardian at litem is in my chambers. Go back there and talk to him. Well, I guess somebody had called and I have no idea to this day who it was. Someone had called Frankfurt and said, there's this foster mother that's had this baby since he was three and a half months old. He's now 17 months old. He's been diagnosed with autism. They want to remove this baby from her home for six months to make sure that she really wants them. You can't let this happen. So they, Frankfurt called the local Commonwealth of Kentucky and said, we are going to make an exception to this rule. Do not remove that baby from this home. So within 30 days, he was mine. That is a so, policy that needs to be changed. That Anyway, I, that's the I dumbest thought, thing. Where does he go for six months? Well, the, we, I wasn't really sure, but I did have a, a family friend that agreed that she would take him <laughs> if that was necessary. And that 
so she lived just a few miles away from me. So he would literally sleep at her house every night if he needed to, but I would spend the entire day with her, you know, so I could be with him, but it, it, did, it never happened. So thank, thank goodness. I'm so but glad it, was, it didn't. God, I know, that's how so scary. confusing for the poor kid. I know. That's what I said. I can't believe that this is even, you know, a policy, but it, it fortunately didn't happen. So yeah. it, was, it was a little bit scary. Oh. And at that point I was just going to have to play their game. Yeah. I already had gone behind their back to find the biological mother myself because they <laughs> give me the information and then when I took that paperwork to him and said guess who I found and guess who signed that I could adopt privately and they I don't know they didn't seem to be real happy with me at that point but again I was going to fight for him well yeah that should have shown them you would be willing to do anything right <laughs> so right <laughs> put me in jail I don't care I'll yeah. do whatever I have to right oh gosh you are such a special person. I, I mean, I am just so thrilled to be acquainted with you. You are a godsend. And I, um, I am just so happy for Jacob that he has such a wonderful family. He had a really rough start in life. And, um, you know, at least he has, has a family that loves him, cares for him, and that he's bonded with. So um, it's just, it all is wonderful and um you know his ice cream truck business is thriving i will link up um the facebook page that you gave me um about his business and the article and if anyone wants to reach out to you i'll link up your facebook page as well and they can maybe ask you some more questions about adoption or other things that um, maybe you can get into a little bit more in depth with them if they're in that situation so Perfect. i really appreciate your time all right great thank you i enjoyed talking to you also Absolutely. And I'm glad we're connected. And um, I'd love to uh, be a frequent member of Jacob's truck in the future if I can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you like to take a road trip to, our... to Louisville. <laughs> right, right. I'm not sure it'll make it that far, but if you ever come to our area, let me know. <laughs> absolutely. All right. We'll take care. Thanks so much, Shirley. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and we'll tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, Please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.